0: Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 20th of March, 2022, 9.30 service. Ruth Henson speaking in the series, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of David and Bartimaeus. Well, we're continuing our series, as Tim said, focusing on Jesus Christ as the Son of David, with the story from Mark's Gospel of the healing of a blind man named Bartimaeus. He is reduced to begging by the roadside outside one of the city gates in Jericho. When he hears of Jesus passing that way, he cries out for mercy. And Jesus' response is to miraculously restore his sight. Perhaps it's a story we're familiar with. Or at any rate, it's an example of Jesus performing a miraculous healing of the sort we're familiar with. But what makes it so significant? We're going to try to find out by considering three questions. What's in a name? What do you want me to do for you? And what about us? So firstly, what's in a name? Do you know the meaning of your name? Perhaps it was the meaning which at least in part influenced your choice of your children's names. For the record, Ruth means compassionate and kind, as in the opposite of ruthless, and that provides me with a constant challenge to live up to. As a teacher, it's interesting to see the trends for different names going in and out of fashion. Where there are names which I know the meaning of, the appropriateness, or conversely, the complete inappropriateness, can be very striking. There are the rather more extreme names which children will either try to live up to and match their personality to, or hide behind and distance themselves from. When I was writing this, I immediately remembered a boy called Tiger, with a Y, who had clearly made the decision to encapsulate his name, and not in a good way. I'm sure every teacher listening has similar examples, and lots of my teacher friends have found their pool of baby names significantly reduced thanks to various options being inextricably linked with pupils they'd rather not have a daily reminder of but this short story of jesus's healing of a blind man contains not one but two significant names or titles It is rare for those on the receiving end of Jesus's miracles to be named in the Gospels. For example, Mark recounts the healing of another blind man just two chapters earlier in chapter eight, but we hear no mention of the man's name. So that must mean that the name Bartimaeus is somehow significant for it to be remembered and then included. Bar means son of and Timaeus means Honour or Honourable. So Bartimaeus's name means Son of Honour or Son of the Honourable One. At first glance, this seems rather unfortunate and a definite misnomer, as this man's existence was anything but honourable. As a blind man, the only recourse Bartimaeus had to make ends meet was by begging for money depending on people to take pity on his plight. The cloak he wears, which he could also sit on as he positions himself by the roadside begging, would mark him out as a beggar, one marginalised from society amongst the lowest of the low. He was also unable to take part in the religious ceremonies and rituals which were necessary to feel accepted and included as a Jew as those who were blind were not permitted to make sacrifices for practical reasons, but also due to their perceived dishonourable status. It was believed in those days that someone suffering a disability such as blindness was bearing the consequence of either their own sinful actions or those of their family in generations beforehand. With the name Bartimaeus signalling an honourable ancestry, the finger would be firmly pointing at Bartimaeus's own sinfulness as the root cause for his infirmity. One thing is for sure, by the end of this short story, Bartimaeus' name will seem far more appropriate. Jesus recognises the worth and honour within the blind beggar, despite outward appearances. He is a child of God one made in the image of God, worthy of love and mercy. Jesus honors Bartimaeus and his faith and so chooses to restore him to a place of honor in the eyes of the people. He can move from being excluded to included, marginalized to accepted. He goes from being outside the city gate, by the roadside, to following Jesus along the road. He was always a son of honour in God's sight, but now that honour will be evident to all as they hear of Jesus' transforming work. So, one significant name or title contained within this short story is Bartimaeus, and the other, unsurprisingly, given our current sermon series, is Son of David. Matthew's Gospel contains more uses of this title But here, in Mark's Gospel, it is scarcely used. Mark makes far greater use of the titles Son of Man and Son of God. And the two instances in the story of Bartimaeus are the only examples of Jesus being called by the name Son of David in the whole of Mark. Jesus himself discusses the title in chapter 12, and next week we will be considering a passage from chapter 11 where our father David is referred to. But our story today has a unique place in Mark as the only occasion when the title is actually directed at Jesus. So why is it significant and why is it only used at this point in Mark's Gospel? As we've already seen in this series, the title Son of David is significant because it is a messianic title. God's promised King, the Messiah, the Christ, was foretold to be of the line of David, the seed of David, great David's greater son. So when Jesus is addressed as the son of David, the speaker is not merely accepting his genealogy and heritage. They are recognizing Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy, the long awaited Messiah. Now, as Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem, preparing to make the ultimate sacrifice, Mark includes Bartimaeus's use of the title, Son of David, wanting his readers to understand the significance, both of what Bartimaeus has recognised about Jesus, and also what this means for the coming days ahead. We don't get to learn how Bartimaeus has reached his conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. Without the sense of sight, his other senses would have been heightened. And we can suppose that from his vantage point by the road at the gate of the city, he would have heard so much talk about the amazing miracles and revolutionary teachings of Jesus that he has come to the belief that this man must be God's promised king. Maybe, like others, he is expecting Jesus to be a warrior king who will overthrow the Romans. That's another detail we're not given. But he certainly also recognises Jesus' mission to transform lives personally, which encourages him to cry out to the Son of David for mercy. It is significant to note that Bartimaeus, with his sight restored, continues along the road with Jesus. In many earlier miracles, the point is made that Jesus does not allow those who have been healed to join him and sometimes even asks them to keep quiet about what has happened to them. But this formerly blind beggar who has had the eyes of his heart opened to recognize Jesus as the Messiah is not sent away. Now is the time for Jesus to fulfil his messianic calling as he enters Jerusalem on a donkey and is led like a lamb to the slaughter. So there is no longer the need to keep his mission under wraps. Having seen the significance of the names in this story, let's move on to our second question. What do you want me to do for you? When Jesus hears Bartimaeus's persistent cry for mercy, he asks for him to be summoned. Jesus would have known exactly what the man wanted and needed him to do without questioning him. But he makes a point to ask him, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't just launch into a miracle without warning. He establishes a human connection with Bartimaeus And asks him to vocalise the yearning that he has. But I think there's another reason why Jesus asked this question, specifically worded as it is. In our reading, we heard the preceding verses to our little story, where Jesus predicts his death to his disciples as they start on their way to Jerusalem. James and John then take Jesus aside and ask to make a request. Jesus responds to them by asking that same question, later to be asked of Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Could there be a greater contrast? These two disciples of Jesus, who have spent so much time with him and should understand his priorities and purposes, having just heard their Lord predict his imminent death, decide the appropriate request is to bagsy the VIP seating either side of Jesus in glory. Jesus powerfully puts them in their place, explaining that they cannot share in the cup he will have to drink, and reminding them that service and sacrifice is at the heart of both his ministry and the calling to his followers. Conversely, Bartimaeus, who has never met Jesus until the very moment he is asked this question, has a far clearer and deeper grasp of of who Jesus is and what his ministry and mission are focused on. His request to Jesus is, I want to see. And physically, his eyes do need opening. But spiritually, his eyes have already been opened to the truth about Jesus, the son of David, God's Messiah. And now, as his physical eyes are also opened, the first things he will be privileged to see are the events leading up to the first Easter as he journeys with his Messiah to Jerusalem. Jesus wants to ask us the same question. What do you want me to do for you? How often do we respond in the style of James and John seeking material benefit glory and recognition, finding our worth in popularity or how liked our posts are on social media. Let's instead follow the example of Bartimaeus seeking Jesus' transformation and restoration in our lives. And let's ask him to help us to see, to see the world and those around us with his eyes recognising the honour of everyone created in God's image and wanting to play our part in bringing healing, transformation and restoration. And that brings us perfectly to our final question, what about us? As we've just started to see, there's plenty we can learn from Bartimaeus, although his story is such a short one. The first thing to notice is that he won't let anything stand in the way of encountering Jesus. He shouts with persistence until he gets Jesus' attention and he won't be put off by anyone else, ignoring the opposition he faces in his determination to receive God's mercy. Do we allow the stumbling blocks which life throws in our way or the ill opinion of others to bar us From encountering God's grace mercy and restoration in our lives? Do we let what others might say or think stop us from meeting with and receiving from Jesus? May we learn from Bartimaeus and cry out all the louder when opposition comes. Did you notice a little detail when Bartimaeus is summoned to Jesus? Mark tells us that he threw his cloak aside. That might sound insignificant, but for a blind beggar, this was a very big deal. The cloak was a symbol of their disability, rather like a white stick or a guide dog today. As I already mentioned, the cloak, which the beggar would wear when walking, but sit on when begging, was a sign of their status and their dependency on the handouts of others with the cloak they could claim a prime position by a city gate to try to receive as many gifts as possible coins would be dropped on the cloak as they sat on at the wayside and then the beggar could store these donations in the cloak as they moved from place to place in throwing aside his cloak bartimaeus is demonstrating extreme faith he would lose his prime begging position probably some, if not all, of the money he had accrued, and his uniform as a beggar, which allowed him to try to scrape together an existence. And without his sight, he would have no way of finding his cloak again afterwards or gathering up any scattered coins if the faith and hope he is pinning on Jesus end up coming to nothing. No wonder Jesus tells him, your faith has healed you. Is that the kind of all-in faith that we have, ready to risk it all for Jesus? What are we prepared to throw aside in order to seek him and his will for our lives? We've already thought about Bartimaeus' request for God's restorative mercy to heal him from blindness. This request is granted immediately thanks to the beggar's faith. You might expect that Bartimaeus would want to head straight to his family to share the good news or visit somewhere beautiful to revel in what he can now see. But his priority is to follow Jesus and see more of his love, grace, mercy and power at work. When we've cried out to God for help and received his answer and intervention, do we continue to journey with him? demonstrating our love and gratitude or do we forget about him until the next time we need his help once more prioritizing instead our busy lives and our own desires and ambitions and we can also learn from the crowd too in terms of what not to do they do not have jesus's vision of the blind beggar failing to recognize the honor he is held in by god In whose image he is made. Rather they view him as one who is not welcome in Jesus's company, one who should remain marginalized and excluded. As he shouts out to Jesus, son of David, for mercy, many rebuke him and encourage him to quieten down. It is only when Jesus, responding to Bartimaeus' increasingly loud shouts, Specifically, tells the crowd to call him, that they rather patronizingly tell him to cheer up and get to his feet because he is being summoned. Do we put stumbling blocks in the way of those who are different or marginalized coming to Jesus and receiving his mercy? Do we feel that God won't want to be bothered with them or that they won't fit into God's people? But God sees the value, worth and honour in everyone and has a welcome waiting for all. So we need to ask for our eyes to be opened, to see our world and those living in it through the eyes of God and with his vision. We need to hear God's challenge to us along with the crowd to call the marginalised, to welcome the excluded. There are opportunities to serve in this sphere within our church by helping with our Grapevine Lunch Club, for example. Then let's ask ourselves, who are the marginalised and excluded in our workplaces, in our community? How can we show them welcome and honour? And as we hear about the immense humanitarian crisis resulting from the invasion of Ukraine, may we be ready to respond with practical love, compassion and welcome to those fleeing their country in the search for haven and sanctuary. Jesus Christ, the son of David, journeys from Jericho to Jerusalem to make the ultimate sacrifice in order to bring restoration and welcome to those previously excluded into God's kingdom. Our call is to follow in his footsteps, and may the Holy Spirit help us to do so. Amen.